Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Well, again, happy Resurrection Sunday morning. We are so glad that you are here. Um, you know, every, every Christmas I read the Christmas story, and every Easter you got to read the Easter story. And, and, and man, it's just an incredible moment in history. Um, I, how many of you grew up in church? Or a show of hands, you kind of grew up in church? I don't know. I don't, if you know my story, you know, I, uh, I grew up in a little Southern Baptist church in South Carolina. My mom's here with me today. She's got some pink pastel thing on the front row there. And cause that's what you do in the Southern Baptist church, right? You dress up. Anybody wearing a hat today? No. Okay. But in Southern church, you wear, you wear, remember them ladies would be wearing a hat and everybody dress up a little bit more. And you would always make me go buy something. Remember you make me clip on ties. I have a short sleeve shirt on underneath this coat. It makes me feel a little bit like I'm wearing a clip on tie. Like it's not real. I got it. But, but. But anyway, but that's how you did it in the, in the Southern Baptist Church. And in the Southern Baptist Church, I don't know if you know, anybody Southern Baptist is straight up, y'all about to get this. Do you remember? So I grew up and, and, and it was old preacher Cooper Patrick. Remember? Yep. Okay. She's getting up in age maybe. Is this, I'm not sure. He's slowing down on me here. Okay. So remember Cooper Patrick? He would, he would bring the little children down. Remember that? Because you'd have the, the preacher would bring the children down and ask them questions right before the sermon. And it was always just cute, right? It was always funny because you just didn't know because little kids say weird things. And so just recently this, this happened uh, where, where a pastor at a Southern Baptist church did this on Easter Sunday morning. He's taking a big risk. You don't know what kids are going to say. And so he says, hey, little boys and girls, what can you tell me about the resurrection? Today is Easter Sunday morning, and I want to tell you about the resurrection. Can anybody tell me what that is? And everybody got real quiet, like they didn't know what to say and know what to do. And so finally, one little boy stuck his hand up in the air. and He goes, well, I don't, I don't know much about the resurrection, but I apparently know that if you have one lasting for more than four hours, you're supposed to call the doctor. So... <laughs> So thank you, Cialis, for educating our children. Um, the, the resurrection, the, that was funny. I don't care what you say. You can email somebody else. That was funny. Um, that was funny. The, the resurrection is the most pivotal event in human history. You can't, you can't. As a matter of fact, I, I remember when I was a kid, I went to Washington, D.C., and uh, we, I went there as a teenager and we went and saw the Capitol building and the Lincoln Memorial and drove by the White House. And we saw all of these incredible monuments and, and memorials. And, and but while I was there, apparently there was one monument that we didn't see because this is not that big of a deal. But over where um, Constitution Avenue and, and, and Roosevelt intersect, it's right near the Potomac. There is what's considered possibly the oldest memorial in all of Washington, D.C. It's called Braddock's Rock. Now, Braddock's Rock is named after General Edward Braddock, who, when he came in with his troops on a boat, he came through the Potomac. They were, they were coming to, to fight the French and Indian War or whatever it is. I'm not a historian. I'm, I'm making half of this up. But anyway, where he landed on this rock, they were like, this is it. This is the first kind of big deal. And so this is called Braddock's Rock. Now, if you go there today, it's not a rock. It's a well with a manhole on top of it. And 16 feet deep is the rock. Now, now legend says that they took this rock and blasted it and used this rock to build the foundation of the White House and the Capitol building and some things like that. But regardless, this is just kind of a really cool, interesting, unique memorial. But what makes it interesting is not that it's a, a manhole and a well and, and a rock and all that. It's that if you go look at the old Washington, D.C. maps, what you'll find is, is something called the Key of Keys. Now, the Key of Keys was... Braddock's Rock. 
And what they did was, is because this was the original place that Braddock landed, and this is, is that all of the Washington DC blueprints are measured from this singular point. That all the layout of the city, that all the other memorials, the Lincoln, the Thomas, the Jefferson, the thing, the why, all things are measured from Braddock's rock. And my point would be is that the resurrection is that. The resurrection is the key of all keys. That all other things are measured by it. Every memorial, every landmark, every important thing in history and in your personal life can be measured from the resurrection. And that's how big of a deal this is. And so today, let's dive into the text. The Bible says in Luke chapter 24, it says early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, these two men appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. I I just think that sounds cool. Like you ever been to a spa and you get a nice robe and it's soft. You think when we get to heaven, dazzling robes. It's just a thought. I don't know that that's biblical. I just want that. So the women were terrified and they bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked the angels, they were saying, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. And remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the son of man would be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. He would be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. And then they remembered that Jesus had said this. And so they rushed back from the tomb to tell the 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. Has anything changed? Some woman, hysterical, talking nonsense. And they didn't listen. Husbands, this is just free. This isn't even in the notes. Nine times out of 10, just shut up and listen to your wife. There's one out of 10 that y'all are tripping, but most of the time. So they didn't believe. It just sounded like nonsense. So they didn't believe. However, everybody say, but, because that's just a fancy, but. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look and stooping he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings then he went home again wondering what had happened um i find this story fascinating and if i could just for a few minutes i won't preach long it's ten forty-eight. if you're taking medicine um what i want to talk to you about today is is that although the death burial and resurrection is the key of keys it is the centerpiece of humanity but it's ought to be the centerpiece of your story that all things are measured by it and from it and back to it That inside of this story, there's just this little nugget. There's this little thought that just kind of jumps out of the text. And it's what Peter does in response to the story. Now, all the dudes listening to the women, because I imagine they were being a little hysterical, because if you experience what they experienced, Jesus is not there. The tomb has been rolled away. Angels are speaking to me. You'd be flipping out too. So I think, but, but Peter gives you the blueprint for what do you do with your life, right? What do you do with your life is this. Everybody say, you run. You run. That's the answer to life, right? You run. As a matter of fact, the the Center for Cardiological something with health and other things, 
I read this. I just can't tell you who wrote it. I, I, but it said this. It said that if you are a runner versus a non-runner, that runners live on average at least three years longer than non-runners. So what's the answer to life? You run. I hate running. <laughs> I hate running. I don't mind lifting weights and working out. And, but running is just... But, but that's the answer to life, apparently. And it says this in the article. It says that a 60-minute run can add seven hours to your life. So you're getting a six-to-one trade-off there if you'll just go for a jog. Now, this has like a threshold because if you look at marathon runners, they die early. So at some point, stop it, get a car. But I mean, every once in a while, take a jog for crying out loud. And, and that's the answer. Now, the, the reason why that's important is because there is something to, to running that promotes physical health, right? I remember I was, I was a football coach uh, and I used to coach like 10 and 11 year olds. You know what I mean? And I used to tell them we'd have to run because all them kids out of shape playing too many video games. And it's about to run, run. And so anytime they got out of line, they'd have to run to the fence and run back. And, I, I, and it dawned on me that I was misleading them as a, as a, as a maybe a role model because I would be like, you need to run like the cops are chasing you. Go. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm teaching them to run from police. That's not good. So then I cha- I'm like, you run like the dogs are chasing you. Because normally when you think about this, if you're not going out for some exercise, you are running out of desperation. Isn't that why you run? Because something is desperately needed. You are either running to something that has created a desperate mode or you are running from something. But ne- either way, Unless you're exercising, there is a level of desperation in your running. And the answer to life is to run. Now, here's what you need to know about Peter. Because you have to think this happened to a real person. This is not mythology. This, is, this story did not begin with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. They started off talking about who was in charge and who was the king and who was the governor and what time it was and what town it was. And they, they could tell you all the details. And Peter was a real historical person. And that means that he had real feelings. Now, you have to imagine that Peter is carrying the heaviness of life and he's going through the hardest thing he's ever faced in his life. Because what do you do with your depression? You ever thought about this before? Like Peter is in an absolute state of depression. Had to be. I just recently did a funeral for somebody. And when you look at people's grief, there is a sad state of depression that we go into to grieve the law. He is grieving the loss of his friend, his mentor, his rabbi, his teacher. He's grieving the loss of the person that he thought was the Messiah. And so you got to remember he is in an absolute state of depression. You know what else he's in? He is in a state of failure. Because not only is he depressed, he's a part of the problem. Like if you don't know how big of a failure he was, that when they came to arrest Jesus in one minute, don't you think about how this dude's crazy. He pulls out a sword and cuts off a guy's ear. He's volatile. That's the answer. Peter's volatile. Because how I many you know like if, if your answer is like cut off somebody's ear, you have anger issues. Think about that. That's free too. So, but then hours later, he's turned from, from anger into fear and he's cussing out a 12-year-old girl. Now, you might not be a Christ follower today, but I bet you can possibly come to the conclusion that if you're a Christ follower, you don't cuss out 12-year-old girls. That's just not a part of thou shouts and thou shalt. That, that's, not, that's not how you act. And so Peter is in this moment where he's in one moment going crazy and in another, he's denying Jesus. He's denying he ever knew him, wants nothing to do with him. And he's cussing out a little girl in the process. So he is not only depressed, but he is incredibly guilt-ridden 
because of his failure. Not only that, he's, he's worried because he doesn't know if they're coming for him next. Because when they would, because see, when Rome wanted to put the boot down, they would literally squash these uprisings. And when they thought Jesus was this Messiah that was going to create an uprising against Rome, they would just throw down the hammer and kill everybody. So now all of a sudden he's got depression, he's got failure, he's got worry, he's got, he's got all of these things. And the question is this, is what do you do with all that stuff? And the answer is not just that you run, the answer is that you run to the tomb. Now, you may not be like Peter today. You might be like, look, Todd, I haven't cut it off anybody's ear in a long time. I've never, you know, I'm not depressed. I haven't done anything. But see, here, here's the deal. You got your baggage. You got your funkiness. Because here's what I know about you. Like, you've got your fears. They're just different than Peter's. You've got your questions. Like, you got to admit, he goes into the tomb and he's like, I don't, what is going on? And he, the Bible says he's like completely puzzled. So what do you do with your question? What do you do with your stress? What do you do with your searching? What do you do with your marriage? I know people right now that like their marriage is struggling. And what is the... What is the solution? I'm going to tell you what it is that Peter gives you the answer. It's in that little phrase, he ran to the tomb. Because, and here's, here's the deal. In, in all of my years of, of counseling people, trying to help married couples, this is what I've really determined in life. That if any two people in their marriage are struggling, if both of you would just take a pause from each other for a moment, not separate, just take a pause from yelling and fighting and go individually run to the tomb. That if you had a husband that said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be quiet and stop being angry and I'm just going to run to the tomb. I'm going to go to the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus and see what that means to my life. And if you as an individual would just pursue Jesus, if you would pray, if you would seek God, if you would surrender to the cross, it handles 99% of marriage issues. Because by the way, there are no marriage issues. That's a myth. There's only personal issues that you bring into your marriage because you had that crazy before you got married. And if you get a divorce, you're taking that crazy with you. So the issue is where are you running to? Do you run to the tomb? There's a story of, of I don't know if you know, but Charles Spurgeon is the considered the greatest preacher maybe in, in the last, I don't know, since Jesus. I mean, he's called the, they literally call him the Prince of Preachers. That's his nickname. If you don't know who he was, he was the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. He was a megachurch pastor before anybody knew what a megachurch was. And he was considered the greatest of all preachers. And so when he died, that he had all of his sermons written down. It's like a volume of 5,000 sermons that he had preached in his lifetime. And they literally have a museum. There's like a Spurgeon Museum. And there's historians that do nothing but read and study Again, what many people consider one of the greatest preachers who ever lived. And they asked the historian that had studied and combed through all the writings of Charles Spurgeon. And they asked him, what made him so great? Why was he such a powerful and profound preacher? Did he have like this thing? What was the one common denominator? And the historian said this. The common denominator is so simple that whenever he opened the Bible, he would read the text and make a beeline to the cross. He would take the text and then make a beeline to the cross. By the way, if you don't know a beeline, I'm not saying you go in like a hoopy hoop and then another. The, be, the beeline is just a dead straight line. And that's what you do with your life. That's what you do with your marriage. That's what you do with your parenting. Some of y'all, you're, you're, you don't know what to do. You're stressed out about your kids. And I'm telling you, the solution begins with you running to the tomb, with your questions, with your searching, 
with your job, all of that stuff. Like I know people right now that, that they're, they're desperately trying to fix their marriage. They're trying to find a job. They're trying to figure out their finances. They're struggling in their personal and emotional health of life. And I'm telling you, the solution is found in what Peter did. You run to the tomb. Now, let me, let me help you out here real quick here. There's some things you don't want to do. Because as a just observer of human behavior, there's some stuff that you don't want to do. Here's what you don't want to do. Sit. Right? Isn't that the opposite of running? You're sitting. You got your lazy boy and you're chilling. Because what did the, remember the women came and they told the 11 disciples what had happened. And it says that they, they all thought the women were crazy and nonsense. Now, interestingly enough, the, the women going to the tomb and the women telling this story to their modern time was ridiculous. And I'll tell you why. Women didn't have a vote back then. They didn't even have a voice back then. A woman could not testify in court. They didn't care what she had to say. And so at first glance, this is what you need to know. In their day, if you were trying to like create a myth, create a legend, start a movement, the last thing you would ever do is put the women in charge. No one would ever believe them. So it's just this incredible thing where like the women come and do the guys believe? Well, Peter and John, the other, story, the other story tells you that John ran as well. And funny enough, in his version of the story, he basically brags that he beat Peter to the tomb. But in Luke's account, he just talks about Peter, Peter running to the tomb. Because the opposite is to sit and do nothing. The opposite is just to sit and hang and not believe and not... Let me, let me tell you why, if you're a skeptic out there, let, let me tell you why you ought to look into this. If you're a skeptic and you're one of those people, number one, I'd love to talk to you, but like... Because there's answers. I just want you to know, like, you've got questions and you don't think there's real answers. There are real answers. You just haven't heard anybody give you legitimate answers. That's the only difference. But you know why I don't want you to sit? It's because here's the deal. If, can you put it like this? Can you imagine if, like, you got this letter in the mail from, like, this really fancy law firm and it had the nice letterhead and it was really, it was, you could use clothy. It was really nice. You knew, like, and then what the letter said was is that you had this really rich, you know, uncle or great uncle or great somebody and, that, you know, whatever. And they said, hey, you've got this incredible inheritance waiting on you. You just need to give us a call. Now, let's be honest. I've gotten some calls from like a prince and an African. I've gotten, you know, did y'all get that email from the guy in Africa that had, and he just needed to, yeah, and, and, and I hope you didn't respond. Please, God, tell me you didn't respond. Okay, so, because when we get stuff like that, we're typically what? Skeptical. We're like, but, but here's the deal. You're like, man, there's at least, there's, there's some evidence here. There's something here. And here's why you should at least call if you get that letter in the mail from that law firm, because the offer is too great. The offer is so great. It requires you to at least make a call, to at least look into it, to at least be somewhat interested. And so I'm begging you today, whatever you do, don't, don't sit. That's not the right answer. Now, here's something else that you could do. And this is, again, in my observation, what people do, they don't sit. They just walk to the tomb. Now, Peter did what? Yeah. I don't, the, the, the Center for Cardiovascular Health and blah, blah, blah said nothing about walking. They're talking about running. What you don't want to do is walk to the tomb. You know what? Every person who tells me when they come to Christ, what they always tell me if they get saved or come to Jesus later in life, it does not matter how incredible the joy of their salvation is. There is a small portion of them that has regret and says this, I wish I would have done this sooner. Look at all the time I wasted. Look at what I could have done with my life. Look at the difference I could have made. Look at the heartache I could have avoided. Do you know what the difference between walking and running is? Time. 
That's it. You're just, you're just sauntering. You're moseying. I don't know any other words that saunter and mosey are all that I have. But you're walking to the tomb and don't sit and don't walk to the tomb. You run to the tomb. Now, here's the other thing that you could do is, is, and this again, just a human observation here is you head to the tomb as a last resort. Cause this is what some of y'all do. Some are like, I get you, Todd, but I'm going to try this first. And you, what you do is, is you keep searching for other and trying other things. And you, cause this is what we do is we get to the end of our, of our rope. And then we say, well, I guess I'll just pray. Girlfriend, you should have prayed first and second and then got up your butt and ran. Does that make like everything you got? But we don't wait until it all falls apart and then go to God. We go to God first. We head there as a first resort, not as a last resort. And then lastly, here's the, here's the other problem I see people running into is this, is that sometimes you just run to the wrong tomb. You're like, I was, I some of y'all knew that you were looking for life. You were searching for meaning, for significance, for forgiveness, for hope, for some, you knew you were lost and were searching for something. You just ran to the wrong tomb. You know what the problem with going to the wrong tomb is? There are dead things in those tombs. Have you ever noticed that when you went down a path and you were searching for something that you ended up with something kind of dead and stinky because it wasn't what you hoped that it would be? There's only one tomb that has life in it, and it's the tomb of Jesus. But this is where most of us go. Because I don't know about you, but like my whole my whole young childhood and adulthood was like this. It was me searching in the wrong tombs. Like I wanted, I wanted friends, or I wanted popularity, or I wanted to fit in, or I wanted to be, or I, or I just started finding ways to medicate, um, non-prescription ways. To, to medicate. And this is what you do. You've got pain and hurt and struggle and you're looking. And so what do you do? Well, I can find it in, in the bottom of, of a bottle or I can find it in, in this thing that goes up in smoke or this thing that I swallow or this thing that I, I snore. Or the, you, you got your thing and you keep running to the wrong tomb. And you know this to be true. You found dead things. Because if I kept, let's, let's be honest. How's this working out for you? You've been living like this. How's that working out for you? We all know the truth. And so what Peter does is he gives us this blueprint of what do you do with your life? What do you do with everything that you ever needed and longed for? And the answer is what? You run to the tomb. That is the answer. Now, let me, let me help you out real quick here. Because I said this to one person. They're like, well, wait a minute. Jesus isn't in the tomb. I'm like, it's a metaphor. Okay. Flow with me here. It's a, it's a metaphor. But let me put some, some meat on them bones. Because this is what it means to run to the tomb. Number one is this, is that you need to recognize that Jesus is a living person and not a dead religion. So when I say run to the tomb, I'm not saying sign up and start being a good rule keeper because you never have been, you probably never will be. I have never been good at keeping the rules. The only thing I ever figured out how to do was is to follow Jesus so closely that the rules didn't matter. If I followed Jesus close enough, I never really worried too much about breaking the rules. But when I focused on not breaking the rules, how many know like you, you, you kind of like lean where you focus and so many people find religion. And then what you, what you, what your whole brain goes into, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And you just keep leaning into don't doing that, but you lean into that. Never focus on not doing something. You focus on Following Jesus, because if you would just follow Jesus, the rules would take care of themselves. Because guess what? He's invited you into a personal relationship, not to a new set of rules and rituals. That's not what this is about. He is alive. Therefore, he is a person that wants to engage with you at the relational level, not the religious one. Number two is this, is run to Jesus first in all things. That's what it means to run to the tomb. 
It means that in any arena of my life, I go to Jesus first. That's the answer. That's the solution. I don't run to him last. I don't sit. I don't keep running to dumb things and dead things. I run to Jesus first in all things. And number three is this, is I need to trust in the power of the resurrection. Well, you need to trust it for your life. Because remember all that stuff that you're carrying around in life, the stress, the worry, the fear, the searching, the questions, all, all that stuff. At some point, you need to trust in the resurrection for your life. Because the resurrection was not just about Jesus rising from the dead. It was also about you rising. So in your life, are you rising because of Jesus? Is your life elevating because of what Jesus is doing in you? Watch this, watch this. Romans chapter eight, verse 11 says this. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Do you know what that means? Let me just summarize that. Is that the resurrection power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same resurrection power that's living in you. So this is not just about you coming and confessing to Jesus your sins, although that's huge, although that's necessary, although that's important. That's about you now responding and saying, I want to live with that life inside of me. I don't have to live this broken and defeated and beaten down life. I can elevate in life. I can rise in life because of Jesus in me. Now, last thing, and I'm going to close is is this. Is that the resurrection is, is, again, it's what breaks the power of sin and death. Again, I went to a funeral the other day and we're grieving. Loved ones are grieving. There is something not right about death. If we were all evolutionary beings, we'd get over it. We've been seeing everybody die. Just so you know, death is batting a thousand except for Jesus. We'd get over it. There's something, there's something not right about death. But the resurrection is Jesus defeating sin and death. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 17 says this. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The only way you get to heaven... The only way you find true life here, right here, right now, is through Jesus. Last story, and I'll close with this. There's this guy that I read about. His his name is Douglas McKiernan. And he is the first CIA operative to ever die in the field of duty. So, you know, when you go to CIA, you know, I'm stars up there and some of them are declassified or unclassified or declassified. You can't, some of you can't know. But this is the first one. His name was Douglas McKernan. What he was, was he was originally like a, like a space nerd. That's not, that's not nice. But that's what he was. He was like an atomic engineer. But he got into China because of his atomic engineering background, but he was actually a CIA operative. And when the dictator Mao, who killed like millions of people, when he came through, he had his whole army just take out anybody that was opposing this new communistic regime and so the cia operatives had to flee and they but they had to like destroy all the evidence and destroy all the information that they gather and so everybody else got out but douglas was like look i gotta stay to take care of this y'all get out i'll find my own way so the way that he found himself getting out was this literally like check this out it was a 1200 mile journey through the himalayans was his only way out so he gets on this it took him seven months He goes through a dry desert. They almost like die of dehydration. They once went three days without any water. Then they get up into the Himalayans during the dead of winter. Now this is where the story turns incredible. 
So he's traveling. He actually goes snow blind. I didn't even know that was a thing. He goes snow blind in one eye. He's traveling through the Himalayas. And and basically there's this old path, this old trail that was like hundreds of years old. And it was the only way through that he could actually get to safety. And so as he's traveling, he would run into these villagers and he would try to figure out the way. Again, it's in the middle of the, of the winter. So there's snow everywhere and there's blizzards and there's all. And so he would ask the people, how do I get? How do I get? Where do I get? him to speak the language. And they would always tell him the same thing. They would say, follow the stones. Just follow the stones. He had no idea what that meant. But he starts traveling and he would find literally these mounds of stones. And he would get to the next village and just like trying to find somebody that could help him a little bit better. But like, how do I get? How do I get? How do I get? And they would tell him the same thing. Everybody said the same thing. Follow the stones. Just follow the stones. And so sure enough, every every mile marker, every every bit along the way, he'd find this like pyramid of stones. And he just kept following. And every once in a while, he'd get lost. He'd have to backtrack to go find the stones. But he kept through all this pain and suffering and all the bad and the heartache and the He said, man, I just kept following the stones. Every village told me the same thing. Just follow the stones. He said, finally, I got to freedom. And I was able to ask somebody, what were the stones all about? Nobody would explain it to me. And they said, well, that's simple. This trail is hundreds and hundreds of years old. But when people die on this incredibly difficult path, they can't bury them because the ground's too hard. So they literally bury them underneath stones. And what he realized was, is that somebody else's death had led him to life and freedom. Where are you at today? Because you have an opportunity today to let somebody else's death lead you to life and freedom. Would you bow your heads with me today? Hey, you've been running to the wrong tomb? Come on. I did that. It didn't work. You've been sitting in disbelief, sitting with your questions, sitting. That's nonsense. Sitting. I'm telling you, there's more. There's answers. It's worth you looking into. You've been walking. Some of you, it's not that you don't believe. It's that you're not convicted. Like you believe, but you don't do anything. You mosey and you saunter. You can sashay. That's another one. Sashay. You've been walking. You know what you believe. You know what's true. But you keep just moseying your way to Christ. And I'm telling you, you're wasting the most valuable thing you have, which is your time. It's the one thing that when you spend it, you can never get it back. Stop wasting your time. I want you to know that Jesus has risen. He has conquered death and sin. And in him, you can find freedom. You can find forgiveness. You can find life. You can find hope. I'm telling you, the answer is you need to run to the tomb. So if you're in here today and you say, Todd, I have never gotten up and run to Jesus. I've never done that before. I'm telling you, That there's an invitation that he's inviting you to run to the door. He's inviting you to come. He's inviting you to follow. He's got this incredible invitation that only blesses you. God is not working an angle here to see what he can get from you. God has already worked an angle to where he can get everything to you. So today, are you ready? 
Because I know there's some people in here, you've been walking to the tomb, you've been running to wrong tombs, you've been sitting, and I'm just, I'm telling you, the invitation's here. Will you say yes to Jesus today? If you're in here today and you say, Todd, I need to say yes to Jesus. I need to be forgiven my sins. I need God in my life. Then I want you to do this. On the count of three, I want you to slip your hand up in the air. It's everybody's head bowed, eye closed. This is between me and you and God. But will you say yes to Jesus? I'm telling you, it's an offer you can't refuse. On the count of three, one, two, three, and slip your hand up in the air. Yeah, I need Jesus. I need to run to the tomb. I've been missing it. I've been wasting my time. I've been going to the wrong places. I need Jesus. Yeah, lift that hand up and keep it up. Just keep it up. Just keep it up. Incredible. All right, you can put your hand down now. And here's what we're gonna do as a church. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And you're going to repeat after me, but it's not going to be weird because the whole church is going to join us together and we're going to all say this prayer. And I'm just going to lead you because there, just so you know, there is no magical prayer. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. But the Bible says that when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we, we, we experience salvation, we experience his freedom. And so it's going to happen in a singular moment. And so it could go something like this. And that's why I want you to repeat after me. Everybody say this. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, would you come into my heart and change my life. I want to know you, to follow you. I thank you that you died for me and that you rose again. And because of that, I can rise. I can have new life. I can have forgiveness. I can have hope in you. If you believe that today, give me the best amen that you got. Yeah. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.